Well, we finally got all of our cabinets put up in the kitchen. Here's the situation. We moved in and we the, the kitchen was composed, the, the storage area was composed of shelves. The uh, I forget the name of the Ikea shelves, but you know, the Ikea lackey, whatever. You know, those shelves that are a great system where you put the, the metal bracket on the wall and then you slide the shelf on it. And uh, and then there was also like uh, a hutch. Is that is that what y'all call it in your uh, your your uh, culture? A hutch, where you put sure. dishes and shit. Which culture is my culture? You know, I don't know. Like when you were growing up, if you if you had <laughs> I, if you right. had like I thought you were gonna call me an Aussie. <laughs> no, no, I don't know what they call it. They yes. probably call Folks it like from the, the suburbs. Did we have hutches? Yeah, and that's like where you put dishes and shit. Right. Like, you know, yes. And if they're glass, they might be your fancy dishes, you know, are the glass doors, the Mm -hmm. dishes no one ever uses, uh, which is nice. We've we've managed to escape having fancy dishes, which I think is a great achievement. Now, uh, we got the cabinets in uh, and it's nice. We can we can put things in there. And uh, I was I was screwing in some extra shelves, you know, customizing some things. We we didn't we got handles. I had to screw the handles in. And I noticed it occurred to me. I recently got a new screwdriver set. And have y'all encountered these Phillips head screwdrivers that have like extra little blades? Like there's some kind of like running man, like doomsday screwdriver that like not only is it just like a, a or is or as my wife adorably calls them foreheads since they're, you know, have four things. But like, <laughs> uh, like, have you seen these? Because I think it's a new type of Phillips head screwdriver that not only has the four things, but at the bottom, at the base of it, there's like slight little ridges, like slight little bases, like not bases, slight little things that blades that come up. Yeah, you haven't seen these? No idea what you're talking about. No, I was wondering, okay. are you sure it's not like a different, because are those like uh, kind of those flat screws, like in kind of computers, you know, you have to have like a different, Yeah, yeah. you can't use a Phillips, but this is a, this is just a different Phillips. I, you know, I, I haven't investigated it, but I've seen it enough times now. This is in addition to another screw that I've been seeing a lot, which is, I don't know what they call it, but that star thing where you've got another bit that's like a six point bit that goes into there, right? Uh, so you've got those. And then you, you you know, of course you have the flat head, I think is what you call it, right? The regular thing. And I was, and then, okay, so now we're up to, I think if I'm right about this specialized Phillips thing, we're up to four types of screws. We got we got the traditionals. Flathead, yeah. The, the streaming, the, the audience is way ahead of you. You're talking about positive drive uh, heads. Oh, good, and, good, good. And then somebody's already dropped a, uh, uh, looks like a Wake Up Godfrey's dropped a types of screw um, uh-huh. image in there. And there's a good, good, good. 25 okay, so, types. So <laughs> I think, I think, I think are the modern screwer around here i don't know if that's what they're called we'll encounter at least four types of screws nowadays at least in europe and oh yeah i feel like i mean if you remember last episode i was suggesting that capitalism needs to take a break and i think this is a strong (laughs) proof point is like we do we do not need four types of screws i am i am a solid believer we only need one and that is the traditional phillips clearly other types of screws clearly you've you've never taken apart apple hardware uh, yeah <laughs> you need you need four screwdriver types just to open the thing up like they I, they, yeah. they invent their own kind of screwdriver heads just to keep people now, from messing with them yeah and, now i can i can yeah. i can i can accept that there are specialized industrial uh uses for screws right but this occurred to me when i i, I finally found the home depot of europe it's called hornbach and not only is it exactly laid out as like home, De- home depot uh home depot but 
it's also its color is orange and it has those signs that look like they're hand painted and but it's amazing it's like massive i wish someone had told us about this when we came here because i was telling kim uh she of the forehead screwdriver that like i want to just go there to hang out i mean they've got a couple of places you can eat it's like a little america to go to the hornbach but so i was looking for screws there i finally found the big screw row and this occurred to me because a third of the big screw row was taken up with these star screws. And I kept, I spent like 10 minutes trying to find them. And then I was like, oh, fuck. It's these bullshit screws. Like, I don't want these. And like, and so it's obviously the star screws have come to the consumer market, right? And maybe even these little Phillips with the blade. And, you know, it's fine if you want to be all industrial Apple people with your fancy screws. And, but I just, and then even like I built a lot of furniture, even when you have those hex screws, we don't need those. There's no reason to have that. Like, and I just feel like, like in, in seeking GDP growth and seeking like new markets and, and transacting just like capitalism has gone too far with the, and now I found five types of screws with five types of screws. <laughs> we don't need it. Like we should be spending that money on like childcare, right? Yeah, th- this, this is, this is the, the evolution of, of the marketplace. The people are finding new, new, niches of of screws that need to be worked with and you know uh it's just the the uh, cambrian explosion of screwdriver heads this episode is brought to you by strong dm managing a gazillion ssh database passwords and kubernetes certs meet strong dm the only way to simplify infrastructure access and audit controls across any environment no matter how diverse strong dm extends any sso to centrally manage access to databases servers Kubernetes clusters, so onboarding and offboarding can be done in a single click. Escalate privileges with just-in-time access and automatically log every query and command. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi. StrongDM is the only way to manage access and audit controls at scale without disrupting workflows. Start your 14-day free trial at strongdm.com slash SDT. There's no credit card required. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, GitLab had it and went public. Now I have to admit, I have not scoured their. Uh, have, have they gone public or they're going public? I thought. I thought. Oh, they filed to go public. You're yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I was it's about just, to say it's like, just S one time because because at some point we're going to have to give our buy or no buy recommendation. So we now, can be you know. <laughs> yes. Now, Matt, now for people come here for their stock tips. Now unfortunately, Ray, they do. It's unfortunately listen. I I know everyone knows this is not a financial advice podcast, but you you spend some time investing in these individual stocks, right, Matt Ray? I have, and I is that, I'm not like a day trader by any means. I I, is, I think about the things that make sense to me and I buy them. Is that is that successful? Yes, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> so I I, I heard uh, I heard the market was going down. So I was like, uh-huh. huh, I haven't looked at my TD Ameritrade account in like, you know, two months. So I logged yeah. in. I was like, still up, right? So, uh, I you know, I have some money that I got from when Chef went public. I took that and I bought myself. I bought about, uh, uh, you know, I bought a bunch of stuff at the beginning of COVID. Uh-huh. And some of that paid off really well, right? The, the Zoom stuff, I sold my Zoom. I'm out of Zoom. After they went up 400%. And I think they, they, they're they up to like 500% now. Six. Yeah, yeah. Who knows, right? So I got out of Zoom too early. Um, I bought a bunch of AWS, um, Azure. 
I bought cloud stuff and game stuff because I and and pharmaceuticals because I thought that's what people are going to need. Oh, that's a little. That's, pharmaceutical wait. stuff actually didn't pay off. Right? So, so I was like, when 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 you say you bought AWS and Azure, you mean Amazon and Microsoft? Yes. Right? Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's you know, that that's that was my thinking, and I bought some Netflix, and you know, all the ones I mentioned are the ones that went up. The ones that went down that I bought. <laughs> I bought. Uh, I bought a bunch of like, um, I, I when, when the whole GameStop thing happened, I bought some just for fun. I bought like one, right? Uh-huh. And it, it, it roller coastered, and I think I, I made five dollars because I, <laughs> you know, because I bought it high and went down, and I was like, oh crap, I'm out fifty bucks, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then it, it went back up, and I was like, uh, screw this stuff. Now, and, now you know everyone knows that the danger. Of, of individuals doing, you know, stock market stuff is, is all the biases. Right. But I feel like, Oh yeah, I'm full of biases. I, I feel like us being in the tech industry, right? Like, you know, it's not so much that you need to, I like, you know, infamously we were like that snowflake thing is not going to work out well. Right. But then it was great. So like, it doesn't so much matter when you miss something, what matters is when you lose your money. Right. And it feels like, you know, you could kind of be like, I don't know, Microsoft, pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and 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 you know, you could kind of oh pick yeah, I also those have things. a bunch of Apple, <laughs> right, 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 and and like even even if you know, you look at like various little startups that we talk about here and there. I guess they're not startups anymore, going public. You can kind of be like, yeah, I can see that that's all right, or you exactly. know, like I. I have no idea about like financials because like I'm convinced that's just all like made up shit at some point. Not made up in that it's it's false, but it's just like some kind of weird world beyond like my comprehension. As as we were talking several episodes ago about uh, people's pay, as Brandon said, it's all priced in. So there's like there's something detached from the day to day operations of the company uh, about the share price that I don't I don't quite get. But you could kind of identify like, oh, yeah, this company, you know, it's it's uh, moderately famous. It's doing OK. And if I set up some criteria like like mm-hmm. Matt Ray has, where like once it goes like to 200 percent, I'm going to sell it. And if it drops like 50 percent, then I'm going to sell it. Yeah. Or, and, or and I, you, can, you know, you something can set like that, that stuff up like literally you can add in rules around your investments. Um, yeah. And. I don't remember off the top of my head what it's called, but that that's actually how I got out of some stuff is I had these, Hey, if you lose 10% um, off your, off your high sell. And yeah. so I had all of these stocks that went up, 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 up. And then they like plateaued and, you know, had a downturn. And I just, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, now you're out of everything. Well, Mary, um, I have to ask like, how are how are you performing against uh, the S and P 500 or some other, Benchmark. I mean, we should give everyone a look into it. The unto Matt Ray's hedge fund. Are you outperforming? So, so oh yeah, I, I I am. Um, well, I I don't know what, what what's SM. So I don't know. Like, what did I think the first thing we had to decide? Like, when did you start buying? When started buying into twenty nineteen. Okay, late twenty nineteen. I started buying. Okay. Um, if if when I take into account what I've put in, I'm uh-huh. up about 30 percent. Okay, mm-hmm. since January of first of 2019 yeah but i've continued to put more in and i haven't i haven't put more in probably in a well, year. Matt Ray, we gotta like measure you against the you gotta you gotta establish your benchmark that you're going against 
before you well, can. Well, uh, in my head, I'm just before, like before we can open know. up this to LPs. I got to know what your 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 <laughs> no your benchmarking no, yourself because against. I'm only talking about my my the, the things that are successful. The things that have tanked like crazy uh-huh. are um. You sound like stocks. a first of all, you sound like a hedge fund uh, uh manager already. I only talk about successes. There are no failures. There, I, 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 I are always, learnings. There are there are just longer term bets that you've uh, yes. Made, my so. my longer term bets are are. Uh, there are a couple SPACs and some space stocks Uh-oh. that Uh-oh. that have, Dude, have this, just this like is, this is what I'm out. saying. I think it's, we need to reiterate again: this is not investment advice. It's gone. Well, the things that work are like the obvious stuff, like Amazon, Nvidia, Microsoft, Apple, yeah, Netflix. Those are all up, up, up. VMware. That's. I'm still looking at you. ServiceNow has been up and down. You know, I'm like, you know, people buy that shit. You know, uh, it needs to go up, and it kind of hangs around without like going up or down um, at least since, since I got it. Um, but like all the other stuff, like my space stocks, uh, they're, they're terrible. Um, and, but, but I just kind of buy a bunch of them and hope that like, you know, that something takes off. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you gotten to the point where you, uh, you lean back in your chair and you throw a tennis ball against the glass wall over and over again? <laughs> the glass falls way over there. The ball won't make it back. Because I think the dog I think what, will grab it. I think once you start doing that, you're you're just a few a few quarters. No, because I'm not I'm not day trading. I I I I literally just you know, hey, I should I you know I've got some cash. I should put it here instead yeah. of you know letting it not gain interest in a savings account. Oh, that's the worst. I think we have to pay pay over here to have a bank account. It's ridiculous. And right, then so this, this, benchmark Matt Ray. 2019 S&P 500 was up 28.88%. Then uh, 2020 was up 16.26%. Just give me November November 2019 to 17% uh, this year. So uh, so if Matt is beating those there you have well, it. Well, and, and and then also it sounds like it sounds like Matt Ray is doing total growth, not compounded growth, right? Cuz what you just reeled off is compounded growth, I assume, True, I don't have right? yeah, I guess we'd have to get the uh the the old You got to uh, you got to smooth that out because because yeah. that that's that's uh, yeah. the value went up twenty five percent, and then yeah, the next yeah. year right. of yeah, yeah I don't. So, I probably right. don't need to explain how compounding works. <laughs> no, you're right. I just don't have the. I don't have that number immediately in front of me. So, so I don't know. Decide if uh, I don't, know, Matt Ray. I guess the other thing is like, as uh, since we become a stock trading uh, podcast now, I guess all the investors ask like, what's your source of edge, Matt? What do you like? What what's your Ooh, edge? edge? What what do you know, and how are you getting it that nobody else knows? Right. <laughs> Uh, pr- pretty much, I, I I follow the advice of software defined talk. There you go, done, <laughs> done, and done. I love, I love it. It's it's a good way to gather intelligence. That's that's. I own, I own no snowflake. It's <laughs> true. All right, so then back to back to GitLabs. It looks like uh, so as always. I don't know how to say his name, Thomas Tungs. And uh, he always has a, some pretty concise write-up about stuff. Sometimes he just goes apeshit with his, like, SaaS modeling. And I'm a little like, ooh, this is, like, some deep shit that, like, have fun with that. But it, it looked, they, they, so what do we got here? I'm looking at the table. Looks 2019, they had 81.2 million. Love that, that point, too. Just throw that in there. Uh, and then in 2020, they had 152 million. Now, that's, that's a lot of growth. That uh, they they went there, and it looks like they're. Uh, let's see, I I forget what sales efficiency mean. Gross margin. I I mean, am I wrong? I mean, gross margin is a useless metric for a software company. Well, I think in this case, it's interesting. It's just basically saying that most of their sales are from people that are deploying it on premise. They're actually not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. Well, that right. part I thought was actually useful because it's not really 
like, I don't know what people consider it. Do you consider it a SaaS business or not? But looking at the gross margin, it's really, this is, it looks more like a traditional enterprise. Than yeah. Enterprise yeah. software. Than a and SaaS then, and then just to round out the numbers, finally, their net income. I don't know why it's listed in margin instead of dollars, but whatever. Uh, their, their net income margin was in 2019, 100, negative 161%. And then 2020, negative 120%. You, you know, it's always good to see, you know, getting closer to profitability. People love that because, of course, that's uh, that's what you're going after. But yeah, yeah. And then as far as like more of the customer analysis, it did, it, I think you you summarized it good. It seems like a traditional on-premise market, which, uh, uh, you know, that that makes sense. There's there's still stuff there. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's definitely still stuff there. But they, and, they also already have established a SaaS and capability to like, transfer customers, you know, from on-premises to, to SaaS. And so, so are we going to see finally the second red hat? Is that what's in the roadshow where they're like, we're open source based company where they always say you can't be red hat. We've got these comps for some reason that French like data management company is on there just cause it's an open source company too. And like, we're going to roll in here. What, what is that? That anyways, we're going to roll in here. And uh, we're going to be the second Red Hat and look at their well, evaluations. The, the problem is like in their in their S1, they actually call themselves open core. Mm. Um, and, and so they, they acknowledge that they have stuff that won't be open source. And yeah. to me, like we've already got open core success stories, right? If you look at um, not Snowflake, but, uh, you know, Databricks or, um, you know, some of the uh, Confluent or um elastic you know the mongo there are definitely lots of companies that you know if they want to call themselves open source you know the 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 open source snobs will say no you're open core and, you know and here gitlab's just like we're open core and so there's no like you know well you know we're not going to say you're the next red hat because you already told us you're not yeah yeah but i do think the part that maybe i don't know the red hat question would be kind of is really interesting because i thought the customer counts here were pretty interesting because it's basically 2,745 customers today. And then that gives them, uh, I guess, an annual contract size of $55,000. And then they sit, go on to say that they do see a lot of growth at 100K and above, um, where they've got, you know, up, let's see, up to 383 customers above it. So it does definitely track, like, this does track, like, where big, big companies have decided to pay for. Uh, this functionality, they don't want to use the open source for whatever reason, right? And so I guess that in that respect, I guess it does kind of track the Red Hat story. But I just wonder, I mean, the biggest thing I have is like, wow, like how much bigger does this get? Like, does this become like, I don't know how many re- customers Red Hat has. I, I assume it's like tens of thousands. It's just like, does it have that same type of need out there? Or will, as it gets bigger and bigger, will people say like, you know, will there be kind of the the natural reaction to like, do we need to pay for this? Do we have to use this? Like, will there be some I, I kind th- of, um, if you will, uh, ceiling on its growth? Go ahead, Matt. I, I think there's probably a ceiling on how big the annual spend can get per company, right? Because if, if you're like, oh man, we're spending, you know, a million dollars a year on GitLab, then that opens the door up to other people who are like, hey, we offer the same functionality at less. Or, you know, a consulting company is like, hey, we could put that thing together and customize it to exactly what you need for less. And they're, they're, I think I've, I've talked about this before. I was like, I think if you are built on top of an open source product, 
there's probably some sort of upper limit to how much you can extract from a company per year because they can they have an out. They have an out where they can say, look, that thing can be replaced. We everybody knows that you know what GitLab offers, you know, there are alternatives. There are alternatives from you know commercial competitors and there are alternatives from open source competitors. And if yeah. you charge a customer too much, they're gonna get antsy. Or, I guess, or so and, but, just, but not if you're charging them too much. If you're charging them too much and they're not very happy. Well, how do you react? Just just like what's your reaction if if I say, hey, we're we're paying a hundred K for let's say Git. That's what we're paying. Like if you're in a company and like we're the CFO is just kind of going down the list, it's like, yeah, we're paying a, if, if he I guess maybe if the CFO would be the person that's like, okay, we're paying a hundred thousand dollars. Explain to me what this is. Now, before we say anything, I understand GitLab has a whole suite. I think of many. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked we about went that through, before. The, the, I think we the went through the whole dozen pillars thing. of GitLab. Or, yeah, yeah, so, right. but I the think 37 it's mostly, GitLab pillars. Would it be wrong to say it's mostly source control, though? I mean, I don't know. Am I like really? It's, I, maybe they would say it's more. But it does seem like if you're in the room with the CFO, and he's like, there's 100K, which is like, you know, someone would start to make the kind of like, hey, this is like a headcount. This is like, you know, we need some more people, especially if you go to different parts of the world. And you said, is, are we really getting the value of this? Like, are we, you know, I don't know. I feel like I, I start to like, as even if I'm asking the question, I start to feel like, oof, this conversation could be hard, right? Like, well, it depends uh, on the size yeah. of the company, right? Like, if, if you're, if you're a 5,000 person company, you're like, uh, we need commercially supported source control. Nobody will blink. Right. Right. Well, but I guess if, the natural question would be like, why don't we use company? Get- yeah. What, I don't know. The natural question, I guess, is, and I don't know the answer to this. Like, what, people say, could we use GitHub? What are your alternatives? Could you do something else? Do we really need this? Um, and maybe the answers are all yes, but it does. I don't know. It just if if I just my immediate reaction is it feels it feels pricey. That feels a little bit like, oh, I, you know. But, that, but the thing is, I, I've always I've always I don't I'm not yeah, okay. So I haven't priced them to compete against Bitbucket and GitHub Enterprise, and mm-hmm. that's what we need is is to know like. Hey, if we're doing an apples to apples comparison, nobody's saying like we host, host your source control. It's all the yeah. other stuff around the periphery. Right. No one's saying roll why, your own. Yeah, which is we're not, we're not advocating for roll your own. We're like, you just, it's just like, how does this stack up against everything else? Well, we're not, we're not advocating for roll your own, but we're advocating for, you know, how much can I get with like the cheapo tier at Get GitHub? Yeah. And yeah. you can get a lot there, right? Yeah, I, I think does. I think I think like the uh, I think I think what that drives to is is a very common model for for uh, y things. I mean, I think to the pillars thing, like what's what's uh, not unique, but what's different about like GitLab where it is is they do a lot of stuff, or they they have a lot of things, and and you could uh, have a pretty you could cover most of. Uh, Let's just let's just speak in these terms. You could cover most of your DevOps requirements and put your DevOps in place, right? And it, you know, beyond just version control stuff. I mean, there's even like project management, if I recall. But I think you know what you do with, when you get an injection of cash is you solve the problem Brandon was talking about, which is twofold, at least. I guess it's three things you could do. One, you're going to have a lot of marketing to change the perception uh, that it's just like source control, as we just went over, right? Which very difficult because it's kind of in the name there. Uh, like, so it's always going to have to be like, we do more than this and you need to have a lot of marketing. And uh, you've got to, uh, you know, talk about business value and outcomes more, which is a whole other set of things that you have. And then and then you get some money to, uh, I, I don't know how much money they would, they would get, but you make some smaller acquisitions. I guess if they have a huge valuation, you can acquire with stock, which is fun. So then you right. acquire some new, some new products, right. Which go beyond. So then it's like, 
using your scenario, it's like, well, we pay them a hundred thousand for source control, but they also do security verification stuff like log monitoring. Everyone actually does log monitoring. Yeah. They, 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 you know, while we're sitting here in the hot tub, you know, smoking L's or whatever with the, the I bankers, like, you know, them in sync or what's their name? S Y N K. How do you pronounce that? Sneak. 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 Those two merge and you've got some sort of like DevSecOps pipeline that's actually product, you know, related beyond, you know, just a bunch of PDFs that say that. So then you've got some, so then you're like, yeah, 100,000, but then we need more hundreds of thousands to pay for all this other stuff. So you just grow that out. And then, of course, Brandon's favorite, you actually in-house the development of products. <laughs> that's that's a, a classic yeah. that uh, <laughs> yeah, you can also do with that. Mind. Well, we should mention quickly that I think that uh, at least this analysis uh, shows that they believe the estimated value uh, when it goes public should be between 15 and $17 billion. So don't know, you know, we'll see what really happens when it actually goes out in the market. I mean, I do think it is like interesting. Um, I'm going to call it a developer tool. Maybe that's wrong. I mean, there are a lot of add-ons that are in security and other things. So, but I do think that it is maybe um, an example though of a, a development tool that, a business that looks pretty profitable, right? And especially at these margins. So yeah, you know. and I, and I wonder if so. Uh, that the Tamaz guy, he if you go to about.gitlab.com/slash/features, I don't know if the trailing slash is necessary. You can try that out on your own. But uh, as as he says, there are a lot of features. But as you look through these features, they're not uh, like well, they are features. I guess I just said it, and it makes me wonder. Like, I wonder if in in Tanzu land, we should just like make a gigantic page that lists all the features. I wonder if that's helpful. And I, I'm not I'm not saying that in a backhanded way that it's not helpful, but I feel like a lot of gigantic infrastructure suites are very opaque as far as what they do, which is why technical people are always just like, I need to install this just to like figure out what the fuck you're talking about, <laughs> right? And And like versus if you have, you know, if you, I'm still scrolling, I've been scrolling this whole time. And I think finally my scroll bar is at the middle of the page <laughs> on my giant monitor here. But if you scroll through this, you can be like, oh, I can see everything they do, right? Like, and so I can kind of search around this and find the features that I want versus if you go to most uh, suites like this, it's hard, you know, what you find out that they do is they deliver on business value. Right. But and, I think the pro- the issue with that though, is like, let, let's kind of go back to the customers here. So Going forward, it looks like they have 383 MCOM enterprise customers who paid over $100,000. So what you're going to find in the feature matrix is it will slowly get longer and will have kind of these obscure features that many people will not care about, but it will appeal to like maybe just five of the 383, maybe 10, right? And that's going to be, and this is where I think, you know, the value, especially if you put up a feature matrix, so careful if you do it. If you put all the features on there, you're going to, people will be, will start using it against you and say like, I don't need too them. complicated. It's too, well, yeah, they'll say it's too complicated. Oh, I don't yeah, need this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why? And then that, that becomes, um, you know, a reason yeah. for them to ask for a discount. And, and it really, you know, it's, it really isn't a, especially if it's all the features, a lot of times, like they don't expect, especially if you're doing product management, you, you know, there are going to be some features that are going to be used for, for by very few people, but they're going to be very important customers. So yeah. That's why I hesitate. Like, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying well, they should or they shouldn't do it. Like putting everything out there will make it look more complicated than it is. It may distract your buyer from yeah, kind of seeing what the value is. Right? That's a really interesting point. Like I've finally gotten to, let me, let me look around my camera here. I'm about, let's say two, the top of two thirds way down the page. And there's a whole section called container registry. Right. And yeah. 
And so that would be one thing that someone could argue about is, or, or I'm sorry, they could discuss with their enterprise uh, partnering representative strategists, uh, which is, you know, like, I don't need a container registry, so why am I paying for that? And then that's, that's at an Yeah, but the, the GitLab, the GitLab salesperson's going to, they're going to know who, who else is in that account, probably. They're going to be like, yeah. oh, you know what? Now you can knock out, you know, Docker, or you can knock out, uh, I don't know who's doing container registries. Um, you can, uh, one of the um, artifact repositories, right? That's, yeah, you know, yeah. so, so there's a natural branching out of, you know, other things to take out and, and GitLab's already been on that path. They've all, they've always, always, we talked about this a long time ago where they had, you know, their, their nine silos of, of, or cylinders or pillars or whatever. And, and there was like monitoring and config management and, yeah. you know, containers. And, and so they're looking to take out those other vendors so they can be your suite that offers all that stuff. And, you know, they're, they're the, the roadmaps they're probably looking at is they don't need to even make their own roadmap. They just look at like, well, if Atlassian's a hundred billion dollar company, you know, they're going to have a wiki. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like well what do we have to do to knock out bitbucket and take that at last you know? right but i think then we're back to like cfo conversations versus like the let's say bottom up uh end users because you know you get into a situation where it's like yeah so the GitLab, github or sorry GitLab uh, rep will walk in and be like we have all this stuff but the people using it may be like well really we like it for git but well, we like, you know, we like this other monitoring tool, right? That's more focused. So, so then you yeah. are back to the CFO is sort of becoming the referee. It's like, wait a minute, like this has a repository and this has monitoring. So why do I have to buy the other monitoring subscription, right? Datadog, for example. And then they'll say, yeah. well, Datadog does this other thing. And so, so I do think this is where, you know, every piece of enterprise software fighting for its value when it's overlapping, it, it, it definitely becomes like, you know, quite the, um, you know, exp- I don't know, quite Who's the meeting with the CFO, pay? I guess, yeah. right? Like who who really has the right functionality? And that's, I think when we went through those pillars, I mean, I think some of the stuff in Git, uh, GitLab look good. Some of it feels very much like a bolt-on, like you wouldn't oh, necessarily, yeah. Yeah. it feels like this is trying to win a, uh, to uh, Cote, uh, this kind of earlier question, like I would say, are you trying to win a Harvey Ball war? Are you trying to like make sure people have useful software, right? And a lot of times it's like, yeah, you have all the Harvey balls, but we don't really want to use it for that, right? I see that a lot as well. Harvey Ball War. That's that's a uh, boy. I feel I feel like that. Speaking of capitalism going too far, I feel like you know all the lives lost on Harvey Ball Wars. <laughs> like that's just unfathomable. Right. Well, I think, but again, that's the CFO. The CFO is the one that wants the Harvey Balls, and he just and then he or she looks at it and just sort of you know they just picks across like you don't need that. That overlaps. It's like. No, it's not really like that. Like you can't just like just because the ball is is solid doesn't mean that it actually is useful, right? That's like the you know the whole trick, if you will, but behind the scenes. And so, but I do think you know, I guess at the you know when it comes back to GitLab, it it does seem like very you know huge success story. Number one, the other thing we didn't mention, I think we should also say because uh, we've been talking about it before. At least this person says it's the f- first fully remote software company to go public. So if nothing else, right, it's just a good example of like well. Here's a $17 billion company. We'll assume it trades at that. That's fully remote. So it worked for them, right? Maybe it'll work for you. Maybe it won't. But here's a success story. If you uh, are in favor of remote work, you can you know, use this as your success story. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, thinking of the our, our commentary on, uh, or maybe it was my commentary, I forget, about the that Microsoft whoever study. Like, 
You know, I, I've been thinking about that and then also in relation to some other stuff. And and I think the 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 problem with like remote working discussions is it it's more like commenting on a certain style of working, if it's better to be in person or not. And of course, the studies try to be about the outcomes that people have. But like it's still more like, well, there's probably ways of working that are better in remote working because they're just completely different. I don't know. I don't have a strong point there, but it's sort of like we see over and over again that like there are companies, you know, WordPress is another famous one. Right. And then which I guess is at a smaller scale. But, uh, you know, this at this scale, like it, it obviously works for the goal of achieving a high valuation. Like, you know, and probably that means it works for the sense of like uh, it actually makes good product. One would hope. Uh, and <laughs> so, like, I, I think I think maybe what's not understood well maybe beyond software development. I'm sure there's other things, but like, I feel like in, so in open source software development, people have been figuring out remote working since at least the nineties, right? Like it's worked and, and it, it produces things effectively. And like, I don't, I don't know if people have spent as much time as developers have spent figuring out remote working on like, you know, Harvey ball wars. Like, and so maybe that's the problem is like, people just need to like, go back to the Harvey ball wars and figure out how would we do this remotely? Because mm -hmm. I think most Harvey ball wars are a bunch of people sitting in a room being all like, well, what do you think? What do you think? Right? Like there's a lot of like body language and like you're, it's very subtle, like a lot right. of white collar work. But whereas, I, whereas like programming is like shit compiles or it doesn't like there's, there's not like, I won't watch two yeah. thoughts on this though. Like one, I think, Certainly software development for sure. But I do think there's quite a bit of consulting and investment banking, which is they're not compiling code, but the, I mean, they might as well be in Excel, right? I mean, they're doing a lot of Excel mm. formatting. Like it's very much it like mirrors a development type workflow, right? Uh, uh, your head's trainers. down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like Matt doing his analysis. Uh, so, that, you know, that's just one thought. But the other thought would be, you know, I guess to ask it in the most financial CFO way would be like, okay, here's the GitLab S1. Let's say they're worth $17 billion. Someone, let's just assume the Microsoft study was 100% right. So how much money did GitLab give up by being remote? So mm, they're a $17 uh, billion company today. So now that I see the study and they would have been more productive if they were together, like what's the multiple? Is it like double? Is it 5% more? Is it 2% more? Because like these, I think that's an impossible question, but totally. that's all it really matters. Like that's, can that's you prove to me that it makes any material difference and if you can that's great because you've like kind of solved like a well, like the, an the, impossible the, the question way you, the way you find that is you have you start having companies publish how remote remote their workforce is are yeah you know how remote their workforce is and then you can track it against you know earnings and yeah. and you know stock stock so you know if you're like oh well you know uh Cisco is now 17% remote workers, you know, they, they get to publish that number. And like, you know, next year, next quarter, they're like, well, now we're 18. And then we're, you know, uh, 19. And then you are like, what's the stock price doing? And then you start comparing them against their cohorts. And then you can be like, turns out, you know, this is, <laughs> right. it still looks kind of random, but maybe over time you can be like, you know, uh, company, you know, we've got GitLab over here in the far right with their right. 100%. But let's just let's just go right at it. Like, hey, we're a financial analyst podcast now, right? GitHub was acquired by Microsoft for seven point five billion dollars, right? So, and, and they were mostly remote. And I don't. It doesn't even matter. I don't even think it matters. It's like, okay, well, that's we need data a, points, basically man. half 
I'm just saying, whatever GitHub was doing, they were only worth half of what GitLab is doing, right? So I mm. guess, so again, just we're just back to like, I'm just reading, right? I'm just like, well, I guess they're half as good. Like if you just, if we're just going to look at these reports, we're just going <laughs> to just take them for what it is. It's like, wow, it sounds like, sounds like they should have waited, right? Or GitHub, sounds like GitHub didn't do something right. And of course, like it's not a little fair, right? Because it's at different time periods. But I just think, like, Maybe GitLab like this wouldn't is the be real conversation, are. right? Yeah. The real conversation is like, okay, yeah. what's your scoreboard? GitLab is going to post $17 billion. GitHub posted $7.5 billion. I think I will let the listener figure out which is more, right? So there you have it. So if you want to have more discussions about remote work, fine. But like, here's $10 billion difference. Man, I, I need to go get another beer because this is reminding me of like the worst parts of when I used to do strategy and just would want to make me want to stab myself in the stomach. It's just like, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on, Brandon, right? Like that is in a, in a non-product driven strategy setting, that is what you do. You're always trying to find out how do I set up my pieces on the board to maximize my, chan- my chances of money? And and even worse, not even money, but valuation and right. EPS yeah. and all that stuff. And and at some point, you know, if you're more of a product driven person, you're just like, I don't know, man. Maybe you should have software that's useful. That's <laughs> let's shoot for that. And but it's just like you you can find examples of highly valued companies that have software that that's useful, but you can find an equal, if not more, amount of companies that are just like have a good whatever the fucking EPS is. Right. Like, well, you know? and you're trying to be trade at certain multiples and position themselves at certain multiples and things like that. And I think, you know, most recently we saw this with AT&T trying to become like a media company. And I think somebody like, it's like they said, I don't know where it was. I think some uh, executive at AT&T like said the, said the the uh said it out loud they just said well we were trying to get the multiples of netflix but it didn't work right so so they just spun it all out again right and it's like and when you hear that yeah, you're like yeah. okay makes sense like you bought hbo they didn't they didn't at&t doesn't trade like at netflix multiples and then they're like oh we have no idea what to do with this so they spun it out and you're like okay well maybe those weren't great decisions but at least that's a rational use um explanation yeah. versus like you know, all the other things they kind of dress it up as like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're gonna do this and it's going to work. It's like, no, you just wanted a Netflix multiple and you didn't get it. And it's like, there's yeah. nothing wrong with wanting that or even trying it. It just, it didn't work. So it all comes back mm. to Kenny Rogers. This episode is brought to you by CBT nuggets. Are you looking to build your it skills? Do you want to learn more about it security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com sdt. That's cbtnuggets.com sdt. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. You know, I look through there, and I'm always wanting to learn Python more. And there's a lot of courses there where you can kind of ramp up into it and uh, even do some advanced networking things with Python. Other topics like that, I may go check that out when I'm done recording this. Anyhow, 
You can start learning today by going to cbtnuggets.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, uh, as as I said, I was very excited. September 20th, I uh, I kept refreshing on the system update to get the iPad OS 15. So far, I think uh, I think I'm pretty satisfied. I'm taking notes for a tour, see how that's going. I actually got Kim to uh, I pointed out that you can have a to do list. I shared a folder with her, and you can assign people to it. That was pretty fun. And uh, I don't know, it's okay so far. Uh, did you go uh, just on the iPad, or did you do your oh phone yeah, as well? everything, everything? Yeah, got to do all the stuff, of course, of course, but. You know that that was a big deal, but I uh, I didn't I didn't come across this until we were kind of collating links. It looks like our friends at the EU finally are going to. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that I I tried to uh, get myself inter- interviewed and set up as Apple's SVP of cables because <laughs> if the, if the EU gets what they want through and they they have a universal for uh, a universal phone charger uh, mandated then the SVP of cables is going to not be a very good job because the SVP of cables is basically going to be on the phone all the time being like, why aren't my, why are my crate, my crates of cables not in Rotterdam? Where are yeah, they? So just they- to like round out the news here. Officially it's the EU to impose universal phone charger. And then they say, quote unquote, and blow to Apple. So it sounds like the universal charger will be USB C. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, 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 feel, I have such mixed emotions. Like I would definitely like only one cable myself. Uh, and it does uh, seem like I'm, Apple's already moving towards USB-C. So that doesn't necessarily. Now, now this is going to be that bad. I, you know, as you were saying that I was thinking like, I enjoy the USB-C lifestyle. And what mm-hmm. do I enjoy about it? I mean, it's not that I enjoy anything about it. It's that my iPad uses it. And so does my laptop. And I would enjoy having like the one thing. Now here is, I was just realizing, however, this could turn into a classic GDPR situation. And mm-hmm. the problem with GDPR is it's really annoying as a consumer. It's almost like it's it's like it puts it, it makes the life of a consumer more difficult when it's trying to make it better. Now, I only have limited experience with USB C, but I think it doesn't have there aren't as many USB C wires types as there are screwdrivers. <laughs> But I feel like there are at <laughs> least time, three. Give it time, right? Like, like there's a lot of different USB. No, but I think wires. they would say. But I think they're going to say the, the. I don't know which which letter the adapter has, but it would just basically be that one adapter. The USB. Now, okay, if they do mm. that, that would be cool. But that's mm. going to take some detail. Is they need to have some? I don't know how they do this in Brussels. Well, you're alluding wherever. to like my concern is just unintended consequence. Like, right, right. We right. don't need to belabor the the cookie warning GDPR. Like, but that mm. whatever people wanted to happen that was not the desired outcome right i think i think i think i think that that was a big fuck up (laughs) yeah so so that's why like when you see this you're like yes like if you asked me i would i would prefer one cable now having said that it kind of feels like we could end up with like a bunch of weird looking adapters right like like somehow there's a way to get around it that's where we are suddenly every apple like has like a like a little um it hangs off like it's like a dongle that just hangs off a lightning cable oh, and it yeah, breaks yeah, yeah. and they're just trying to like meet, you know meet the regulation but you can still use lightning and, and you just you just worry that this feels apple, like apple you feel a bad that. area bad way apple apple will apple will match the letter of the law and then just tell everyone uh we're deprecating those ports it's all wireless now 
<laughs> well, I thought for sure they that's where they're the Chargers, and they'll go yeah. pure wireless before they do something. Well, that's been the long unpleasing. rumor about Apple iPhones is that they're not going to replace the Lightning cable until they just go to the point that everything is done wirelessly. Like there won't be any any port at all. So that just seems and then like in, in on, ten years the EU will be like, we got a new wireless standard. You got to adopt. Yeah. So that does kind of feel like maybe Tim Cook is going to checkmate them. He's going to be like, you waited so long that the roadmap <laughs> on the roadmap next year for yes. the iPhone just, 14 is portless. Right. And yes. they're going to be like, that no is a very Apple anymore. move. Yeah. That is a very Apple move, especially like, uh, you know, the, the court case with uh, Epic um, that's going around, you know, it, it kind of hit, hit a, a, an end where, you know, they agreed to make some concessions, but Epic is appealing part of it. So Apple's like, you know what? We're not going to let uh, Fortnite back in the store until the court cases are all over. Just like, what, you know, what, what is your alternative? Like take them to court over that, you know, cause mm-hmm. that's exactly what, you know, it's just, that's the sort of spiteful, you know, checkmate kind of thing that they will, will do. Well, the other thing I worry about here too is just, you know, thinking ahead, it's like, well, wait a minute, what happens when USB-C becomes obsolete? Like USB-A, right? So it's like, what if 10 years ago, they're like, it has to be USB-A, but then it's like, you have these huge ports on these small phones, right? And like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work, right? And then it's like, so that's the part too. It's like, uh uh-oh, like, is it, and I also too remember like USB-A, you have to like be a certain, like, what is it like not flippable or something, right? Like you have to like, yeah, you know, yeah. That, that's been a great, you know, innovation. If you want to call it that from, you know, lightning cables and now USB, you know, they just, the fact that you can flip them around, it's easy. So I don't know. I, I don't know. You're in Europe, Kote. You feel like you, you feel like, I feel like you should be more happy about this. It feels like. Oh as, yeah, as a, as a European I, uh, representative, like, is this going to be a good thing? I'm worried. I, I mean, I think, I think, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know EU stuff well enough to like be cynical or optimistic about the process of it. I mean, as far as I can tell, the quality of, of stuff over here is great, right? Like, it, <laughs> it, it might, it might be more expensive than like you know buying some generic stuff, but like, man, the food here is wonderful. So whatever the EU is doing with that. I'm all for it. And uh, <laughs> now I, I would hope I didn't think of the point, the obsolescence point you brought up, Brandon, but I would hope that the way you would structure something like this is you would say, let's go back to the business outcomes discussion. We would like there to be one cable that is uh, affordably priced that works well instead of all these different cables. And I, and I think, I think the, by all these different cables, they just mean Apple. Because I'm pretty sure all the other companies are USB-C or, or whatever, right? Well, 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 or like or USB variants, right? Yeah, it would be right, easy right, for USB. them to move over, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 so, like, I would assume you, you I would want, want it to be set up where it says, all right, we're going to mandate USB-C and we're going to, like, go to the Wikipedia page and say, the you know, these, right? It has to be these ones. And then... And then <laughs> these. And then also you've got to like fucking label the cords so that people know that like, oh, this one, you can like hook up five monitors to it and have a bunch of data over it. <laughs> right. And you could also charge your phone with it, but that's a little overkill, right? And just like, you know, maybe we should even call that one something different. I mean, you know, I don't want to blow the minds of the IETF or whoever makes these standards, but like, I'm pretty sure you fucked that one up by calling that the same cable. Like that's a bad idea. So, well, that also you're opening up the other like backdoor kind of change here. We'll be like, okay, well that you can uh, use a USB-C to charge. Right. But turns out if you want to do this other thing, 
like, you know, the Thunderbolt 4 or something like, you actually need a different cable to do these other capabilities that aren't, char- they don't have nothing to do with charging. They're about doing something different. And that feels right, like right, right, right. another and, and, disaster. And, right? and so, so, so what I would, what I would want set up is like, you know, and let's also have a committee that meets every year and is basically like, and, and, and it should be written and they can only meet for 16 hours. They meet more, <laughs> they get fired, but like They're you meet. You could meet for 16 hours and they just have to be like, is this still technically good? Or do we need to say this should it be USB D mm. and that's it. And, <laughs> but, but is it going to be one, one standards committee just based off like, you know, charging cables or are they going to be like, no, no, no. We handle yeah. all industrial, no, no, all it's industrial just, standards. This it's year just like, we're taking on torque screws. You'll, you'll, you'll look at, uh, you know, you'll go look at like Chris, Joe, Joe, Von, Joe, Joe, european guy or, or person <laughs> and uh i shouldn't say guy but you know that's why i picked the name chris it could go either way you go you go pick uh chris von european and on their linkedin it's like i am on the the cable charging committee they're not on the it's just like only cable chargers that's what they work with and like all they're doing is making sure that we don't get stuck in some obsolescence and then mm-hmm. they give a recommendation we need to change it to be usbd all right, I just have one it. thing. When they start the meeting, I want to. They should all be required to like go to several websites in Europe and to uh, manually click accept all the cookies, right? As a reminder of what not to do. Like at yeah. the end of it, <laughs> we can have no situation where we have hundreds of million people, people every day mindlessly clicking accept all, right? Like just, just please, it cannot be that situation. So that's yeah. my only yeah. ask. Is like. I, it, you have to don't do that. Don't create that. Yeah, and I, I think I think the next thing after uh, the EU solves this cable crisis is they need to fly over to uh, to Sweden and be like, "Hey, man, maybe in your booklets you don't need to have thirty different languages that basically say don't put your tongue in the electrical outlet, <laughs> right? Like, we'll just like let's just assume A graphic will in my IKEA yeah. catalog, yeah. I mean, I love the graphic. I mean, every one of these things, even if you're basic, if you're getting like a, uh, like, you know, a plug, there's always that, that kind of like pleasantly portly guy who's like, you know, he's got a confusion, uh, little thing and it says to call. And also like everyone remember, maybe the EU should just like blanket do this is like, please, when you're building your furniture, don't do it directly on the floor, put a rug underneath it. And then that would save lots of ink for Ikea. Cause that's in every single, uh, manual there. Despite all that, I'm a pretty big fan of Ikea. I think I've, I think I've converted <laughs> over. Despite the Tyler Durden whatever business of, of the 90s, I think I think they've got something figured out there. It's a well, uh, call action. Hey, Kote, before we wrap the subject, I wanted to get your take on, did you upgrade? Did you try out the new um, web browser, the the address Safari? bar at the bottom of yeah, uh, your yeah, iOS? Yeah, and like, well, what is your, because uh, that was the other like semi-controversial uh, yeah. design change. What, what did you think? I, I, I still am slightly confused because I keep, you know, thinking it's up top. However, I, I like, I I think I would like the idea of it because like, yeah, it's, it's a pain to like go select the thing up top and then type in it. Right. So the, the only problem is like the placement of it is like on the phone is like obscured. I guess it's only on the phone. Like it's hard, it's hard to realize it's there. So maybe, Maybe the same, maybe, let's see, maybe there are different annoyances, but it might be the same quantity of annoyance of like having to get my, my thumb up to the top. And maybe it's the same quantity of annoyance of having to move my thumb 
to like do the to address do bar. However, what I'm thinking now is like, I don't ever read what's in the address bar. So I guess it's just when I'm typing things in, I don't know. It's, it's weird, but I, so I, I'm still letting the muscle memory like uh, recalibrate. So I don't know where I don't have like a hard uh, opinion yet on it, but I do think I was looking at it and I was like, like what, what is the design thinking behind it? So I did, I guess my theory, and maybe this is just stating the obvious is that what they're trying to do is keep what you type right on top of the keyboard. That seems to be like where I think Apple wants to go is that instead of having the keyboard at the bottom and then the input field at the top, right. That they want to have that right above it. So you've basically, as you're typing, you see right above what's going in. And so what I'm interested in is like, is that a design principle they're going to try to put everywhere? Like today, if you search for like an app in the iOS, right. It's like search is still at the very, very top. It's like, will they move that search bar down and are they trying to like implement a new metaphor where it's like all texts that you're typing in when possible is entered yeah. right above the keyboard and then your auto fields that pop up they actually pop up above the text which is like a i don't know huh. i don't want to say it's jarring but it's a little bit like it's different but then i was like okay i think if you're designing from the ground up this idea of like text and keyboard being very close on a mobile device maybe that makes sense yeah. So I'm interested to see if it if it works. You know, you know, a feature I just saw that I'm looking forward to. I, I don't know if I've used it yet. Is I think in screen time they just have like a button. They finally have like a kill switch that you can go to and just say like ignore ignore the schedule, ignore all the the scheduling for the next hour or for you know for the next few hours, which I think is great because oftentimes you know you're like ah. Oh, it's been a long week. I just want to relax, but I don't want to have to go reconfigure my kids' settings. Like now I want them to just be able to play on their iPad for five hours. Well, I stare, <laughs> I stare at the ceiling and you always have to go into screen time and like you got to reset all this stuff. Now, thankfully, it re- kind of remembers. But now I think there's just a switch that's just like the fuck it switch, right? Like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to let them like stare at their screen and do things, which I think will be a relief to use. Now, I would like a switch the other way, which is just like, Everything off. Which would be the kill switch, which yeah. would be nice. Like, I would use that all the time. I, I You know, uh, that would be super handy. To, all right, Matt, before we get off the Apple subject, you said your your, your daughter is up for an iPhone? What What's your... Uh, no, what you no, 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 no. My, my, my oldest. Oldest, um, okay. So so my family, uh, I started my... When, when my kids got to uh, high school and they had to start riding the bus, I decided that's the appropriate time for a smartphone. Right, okay. because they're yeah. they're gonna need Google Maps, gonna need to track down a bus and make sure that they can catch it. And mm-hmm. so uh we started with um you know cheap Android phones because you know my daughter's like, I need a thousand dollar phone. I was like, You'll break it. No, no and of don't. course she broke the first two Android phones. So um but she chose uh she's the one in the middle, so she chose to buy herself a uh an iPhone and you know after she broken two android phones and um yeah that's worked out fine for her she, i don't know she's on a 10x or r or whatever and uh but my oldest he he's just like trucked along with his uh nokia one you know vanilla android and he's been complaining that it's too slow it doesn't work great and uh, he's he's going to be headed off to university and so uh we're gonna have to get him a new phone at some point his birthday's coming up so he's like, I want a new phone. And I said, well, what do you want? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, all right. so, so here we are. The, the family is, uh, you know, my wife's got a, 
an iPhone. I've got an Android. My daughter's got, uh, she's, you know, converted to iPhone and here he is. He, he can be like, he can you know, oh. maintain the status youngest, quo. Youngest huh? is not, is not old enough he, for a He's not in high school yet. yet. Okay. Can, All right. Next so year, though, next year, he can be the tiebreaker. He can be the tiebreaker. One, but I like uh, to start with a, I like to start with an Android phone because it's like, I'd rather show out two hundred dollars and six hundred dollars when you I know you. that right. they're going to break it. All right. right? So everyone playing along at home. So right now it's two to one. Two two family members iPhone. Matt holding on an Android. For now, this will be the yeah. can either tie it up or really make it unwinnable. Maintain, so you, maintain the tie. You've got you've. Matt, you've got to really carry this. I mean, this is like some kind of gerrymandering thing. Otherwise, you're going to have to try to get more votes in your well, house. Yeah, to like, I mean, continue we'll, to uh, dominance. So, at that point, we might as well just you know uh, get the uh, the iCloud subscription and 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 you know be like Cote's you're this family. close. You're one vote away from being in the iCloud. All right, I look we're about it. to enter the defaults lifestyle. Matt, I, I look forward to one day sending you a text message as a blue bubble. That'll be that'll be a great day for all of us. <laughs> yeah, just imagine you had you could have two terabytes of storage that you share. You your family, since you've got five kids, you would need like the four terabyte option. But you know, it would all be there, Matt Ray. It would all work. Yeah. Sounds sounds delightful. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you want to find more delightful things that we didn't discuss in this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash three twenty one and find links to things that we talked about and that we didn't. We've got all sorts of uh, other things that we looked at. It looks like you can get a subscription to Tacos. I'm going to see if they have international shipping. But you can click on that and find out more about it. Uh, And uh, do we have any bureaucracy to go over, Brandon? We do. I wanted to say that there was a really good discussion this week in Slack uh, about, uh, you know, kind of like we talked a little bit about GitLab before, but just sort of uh, code reviews, pull requests. That's uh, ship show ask. There's an article uh, that someone posted and they just kind of, you know, proposed to a group like, hey, what should we do? Should we always do code reviews? Should we sometimes do them? And so uh, one, you can read the article. And then two, if uh, you're interested, join the Slack and you can uh, uh, give your opinion. I would say there's there's lively opinions. I thought there was like every side was represented. I didn't I didn't I can't summarize it for you. You have to read the Slack. Decide for yourself if they came to the right conclusion. Also for like a hyper local recommendation, uh, Brian a friend of the pod here, he recommends The Disconnect, which is a KUT radio that's here in Austin. And it's all about uh, the winter storm and like why does Texas have the situation it does? So if you live in Texas and you were very cold for three days and you want to know what what led us to this uh, scenario, it's a really good podcast. If you live somewhere else and you don't care, I get it. I understand. But it's still, uh, I thought it was really well done. And then finally, uh, Jordy, good friend of the show. He wants you to be a developer advocate over at uh, WeWork. So if you um, like that job or you're interested in it, if you go into the the jobs channel in the Slack or you just find Jordy in the Slack, he'll probably tell you all about it and why it's a good job. And of course, if you would like some stickers, just send me uh, your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Be happy to send you uh, stickers anywhere in the world. Also, going to meet up with some software defined talk listeners this week i think or next week and so I'm, i'll just bring them to you if we have lunch together i'll just bring them so i'll also do that so so there you go that's all the bureaucracy you're having a meetup brandon no not a meetup i'm meeting lunch with you know jj and uh dan so oh, okay go. okay so <laughs> so so if they're know, listening really meetup. if you I see them meetup, you can join bring, them i don't know maybe maybe software defined talk will buy lunch who knows maybe we'll be a meetup 
Okay, so if if you're one of those two people, no need to send your mailing address to Brandon. I will say this. I don't know. I'm still like, I don't know, Austin. I guess this is another question I, I would like to know. Is anyone going to AMW, AWS reInvent? Because like, I may go, or then I, maybe I shouldn't go. I'm not sure. I, like, what is everyone else doing? I guess I want to know. I want to be part of the herd. So, um, but one day, I hope, hopefully, you know, in, uh, I think it's January. Uh, that's one of the conferences Coach is going to mention in a second. Hopefully, we can have a, a real meetup. Hopefully, it'll be safe for everyone to do that. So I look forward to that soon, hopefully. Well, there are several conferences. You should go to uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 321 to check them out. The one I want to highlight is the one that uh, I, I'll be speaking at and that with several of the people I've helped put together, which is DevOps Loop. Just go to devopsloop.io. It's free to attend. we got all sorts of great speakers. So uh, it, it'll be a good one. October 4th, week after next, I should really start working on my presentation. And with that, Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend? Uh, my recommendation this week is a video game I've been playing with my youngest. Uh, it's called Deep Rock Galactic. Uh, we tend to play um, co-op games, and uh, this is a uh, up-to-four-player co-op game where you play a space dwarf mining uh generated maps and it's a lot of fun and uh uh it it kind of hits hits the uh uh pg-13 level but uh um it's uh it's not not too gory it's a little scary at times you know because uh you know there's big rushes of monsters but they're not zombies i guess so maybe it's okay um anyway we've been enjoying that he's been enjoying that uh if you've got uh, two pcs um go grab that and uh, play it with your kids how about yourself, Brandon? What do you have to recommend? Well, to round out um, our iPhone discussion this week. So I looked at all the new iPhones and I thought, you know, the really the one thing I really need is a new battery. I really, that's all I need. So should I get the 13? Should I get the uh, the 13 Pro? But then I just went to the Apple website. I was like, I wonder if I could just battery replaced in my phone. Sure enough, $69, 75 all in with tax. Uh, Apple will just replace the battery. And in this case it was an iPhone 10 or iPhone X. And uh, yeah, it feels like it's a brand new phone. So I felt like I gave them $75 for this battery and I felt like I saved $1,000. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm just going to go another year with this old phone. And it really made me think about the benchmarks because there's always benchmarks about like what all the new processors can do. But I really want the benchmark of like, when is my phone actually slow? Because I don't, I mean, I'm sure the new processors are faster, but like this phone still feels very fast. Like I don't feel like it's slow. So yeah. uh, I don't, maybe I've convinced myself that it isn't, but I just like, I never actually, when I'm, I never feel like the processor is what's limiting the phone. I feel like it's either the bandwidth or it's me. Yeah. So, my, wife, um, go my wife's got an SE and I'm, I'm on that same debate. You know, I'm like, you know, the battery is poor. And I keep saying like, uh, do you want a new phone? And she's like, just fix the battery. And then, you know, she won't give up the phone to go get the battery fixed. So that's the problem. But well, I will yeah. say this. It was two hours. Basically, I dropped it. I made an appointment. I just gave him my phone. And in two hours, I came back and it was ready to go. And they, they sure enough, they have like some diagnostics. So they can tell you like how many times your battery's been recharged and stuff like that. But it really does. I mean, it does have that feeling of like, the, I know the phone is not any faster, but it just feels like, oh, wow, it's lasting so long. It's, uh, you know, the battery's going all day. It gives you that kind of feeling. So I don't know. For an iPad, it doesn't feel like it ever makes sense because iPads are, at least the mm. regular iPads are pretty inexpensive. But like, wow, I mean, the phones are, it's hard because I looked at all the different options, you know, it's like, but it's hard to get a phone for less than $1,000 or not locking yourself into one of these various, you know, contractual obligations, right? So I was like, ah, uh, so I would recommend it. I think, I think for a phone, it was worth it. You know, ask me in six months and I'll, I'll give you a full review. 
Well, uh, I've already recommended one thing, Hornbach. Go there for your uh, your Home Depot experience. Also, as mentioned, you know, a uh, lot of lot of lot of IKEA going on here. So we have had a tremendous amount of cardboard to recycle in the house, and I have a new appreciation for box cutters. And uh, you just a box cutter, you just 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 put out the big gigantic blade and you start cutting things up. Now, another thing the EU needs to figure out is what to do with styrofoam. I'm not sure what you're supposed to Ooh. do with that. It's uh, it's quite the thing. And also, uh, just a little bit of self-promotion. So my, uh, my friend Charles and I more or less have started doing our old podcast. And uh, you should check it out if you remember the old Drunk and Retired podcast. And, uh, you know, we've called it Drunker and Retireder. And uh, so far, we've had a part one of a discussion about what's up with all these different types of bread and what you're supposed to do with them. Now, the, the best moment, I think, what, what you'll want to pay attention to is when we try to figure out when does bread become pizza and what's the distinction between the two? Now, just, mm. just think about that. When, when does a piece of bread cease to be a piece of bread and become a pizza? Very complicated question. <laughs> so with that, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 321. You can join the Slack channel. We send out a newsletter with all the links. And of course, we do a podcast every week. So we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to get one of the one of those screwdrivers like they use in the heist movies. That's like this it's it's analog and it's this big stick that you just like push on. <laughs>